all the games I used to play in my younger wilder days. The game of clubs and tees it never crossed my mind. But after some discussion with my closest, dearest friends. Welcome into another episode of the Turn Fantasy Golf Podcast. I'm Andrew Petters here with Spencer Aguiar, our uh, roto baller expert, filling in for Joe Nisa this week. For the 3M Open preview, first of all, first and foremost, Open Championship. Um, probably like a lot of other people are, kind of disappointed in the way that it ended up. Not that they're disappointed that it was down to Colin Montgomery and Jordan's or <laughs> Colin Morikawa and Jordan Spieth, Spencer, but more so uh, the 149th playing of the Open Championship basically had more mild uh, conditions than the U.S. Open did just a month ago. And for that case, it was not a golf course. And it was a good golf course. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a favor of a major championship having a risk-reward hole at some point in the last six holes. And unfortunately, this course with these conditions do not did not provide that. Uh, so, Spencer, real quick, touch on Morikawa's dominant performance at the 149th Open Championship. Yeah, we talked a little bit off the air before we came on about the Open Championship. I know both of us were in the same thought process that the tournament just didn't really yield what we were expecting or what we wanted to see from it. And and a lot of it, like, I think the easy scapegoat answer is the weather. Winds didn't get up there. We kind of knew that there was a possibility of that. I'm more in the mindset, though, that the head greenskeeper, Paul Larson, I just think he kind of you know, it's, it's funny because one of the things he mentioned when he was talking about this, I was listening to the interview on a Tuesday or Wednesday last week, he was saying that he didn't want to put himself in a position to where this course got away from him. And then he had to spend, you know, months trying to get the course back to where it was. And we kind of saw that, like, if you're going to have these soft conditions because of the weather and you're going to have virtually no wind or at least no wind for that type of a facility, you're going to either need it to be, I mean, you can't water, let's start with that, but you're going to have to have it fast and speedy. And we didn't have that at all. Like the fairways were watered, the greens were watered. This turned into target golf. And with it being target golf and you're not going to have balls that run off into the bunkers and not run off into the fairway, it's kind of the perfect tournament for Morikawa to be able to find the fairway. He's real accurate off the tee. He's not going to get the runoff where he finds himself into those penal bunkers or, or the you know longer rough that they had there. And if he's going to be the number one putter in the field, that's just going to kind of lead us to a Morikawa victory. So nothing taken away from him. He looked very good. I think he earned the tournament. We saw him be clutch once again in a major down the stretch, but a lot of what ifs of what could have been with that course. Cause as you said, it's a really nice course and it's something that, I mean, it's probably the most difficult one on the open championship rotation when it's done correctly, but it just really didn't have any defense for it last week. Once again, though, um, and, and of course, conditions being somewhat iffy, uh, unfortunately, I thought a lot like us, uh, Tori played was the course conditions weren't what uh, I personally liked for the specific championship. But once again, did not stop Bryson DeChambeau from getting in the spotlight at some point in the week. What do you think about his comments, Spencer, coming out and – well, let me just say this first. It's pretty obvious that in the moment, the guy has so zero self-awareness, right? I mean, yeah. yelling at the cameraman, yelling at the, the the rules official several weeks last week, and then now this latest one is his number one sponsor from day one, Cobra Golf. 
making the statement that my driver sucks or this driver's terrible for me or something like that. So many more ways he could have put it. Maybe that's just a test of whether he's so in the moment they just didn't understand what he's even saying. I don't know. I did hear a story of another caddy, uh, Kuchar's ex-caddy, I believe, that's in into the media market now. Uh, did an interview on uh, No Laying Up podcast, I think, and discusses a moment where he had a moment with Bryson in his rookie year about just being zero self-aware and what he's putting his other partners in his group uh, up against. And it's kind of unfortunate, um, but – you know, all content aside, um, obviously we know he's a super talent, but I think he's headed he's headed into the direction that's basically uh, he's moved past the Patrick Reed. I think Golf Digest released something that he's moved past Patrick Reed as being the most unwanted partner in uh, team events in the future going forward. Uh, um, and of course, Brooks did not miss a miss a, a chance to throw in there. You know, driving into the weekend, and I love my driver, and I. You know, it's it's kind of comical, but what's your thoughts on Bryson? Yeah, as you said, it's heat of the moment with Bryson with it. Like, I I don't want to take too many shots on him for what he said. I think that, you know, he's not happy with where his game's at. It comes off incorrect in an interview. He takes shots that he shouldn't have said, obviously. You never want to take shots at your sponsors, the people paying you. I, I just think it's an unfortunate situation right now with Bryson where he is spiraling on, like, the wrong trajectory at this point. As you said, Kepka's a guy who continues to knock it out of the park every single time that like Bryson throws him the alley-oop and, and Brooks dunks it every single time on him. So I, I think it's just something that Bryson's a very passionate person. We see it come across that way in the interviews and he's going to have to figure out a way to kind of bite his tongue and learn how to handle it differently. But I think that passion is also why he is as good as he is. I mean, we see the work he puts in on and off the golf course. He's working harder than anybody else. He's transformed his body and his game to reach a different level. And I think when he's not getting the performances that he wants and thinks he deserves to get, you get this different version of him where he's kind of, you know, spewing off thoughts and comments with it, but not going to take a shot with him on it. I just think he's a guy who's very passionate. It's the reason why he's good. And it's the reason why he implodes when he does. Good take Spencer. Um, Great take. Um, guys, if you like what you're hearing, hit, go ahead and hit the subscribe button right now. Uh, hit the like, share with your friends. We appreciate all that helps us. Um, moving forward this week, 3M Open. We have friends of the program and a friend at Rotoballer uh, from Minnesota. Um, uh, just swish. He's, he's up there. I think he's going to be at the event a couple of days. But, um, um, you know, if you guys are looking into uh, DFS, I recommend uh, rotoballer.com, number one place in the world for your daily fantasy needs. Spencer's on staff there along with Joe, my normal co-host, uh, lead golf editor up there. Uh, when signing up, use the promo code TOFF. You'll get some uh, special discount. Spencer, what you've got, what you've got the gambling, uh, you've got the DraftKings stuff going on with it. You also got the daily showdown stuff. Give, give us a little insight what you you do every week for Rotoballer. Yeah, as a whole, I mean, the whole Rotoballer golf team does a great job. Like everything that Joe puts out is worth a read. We just hired Andy Lack onto the team. He's releasing a great work, you know, from a pre-tournament perspective on it. I think that you guys have some stuff in the process with him that he's going to add. As you said with Josh, he does a course breakdown. That's great. And then I do the Vegas report that covers a tournament from a betting perspective with it. Um, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of of that article is through a three-year duration sample size with it, 65% head-to-head winners on that. 
nearly 50 units of profit. That's, you know, something that I'm proud of what I've been able to release with that. Uh, I do the showdown, as you mentioned, I do that for second, third, fourth round. Sometimes I put out the first round. It's get, you know, hit and miss with that, but uh, all the in-tournament stats go into play for that. I have it to where you can go in and weigh a tournament for the way you think it. You can put the pre-tournament stats back into it. And, and I mean, that's kind of one of the things that that's why I do this job in general. Like, I mean, if I was just going to be touting picks and try to give picks, like I would just be a handicapper and would go that route with it. Like, I, I love the ability to provide tools for people to use. I, I love the ability to talk to people, give insight with it. And that's why most of the things I create, which the showdown thing and even the pre-tournament uh, DFS wizard that I have, those are things that I love releasing to the public just because it gives everybody a chance to build a model the way they want. I release it with my model the way that it's included with it. But uh you know, that, that's one of my favorite things that I have. And really the reason why I'm in this just to provide information and tools to everybody. That's right. Give us, log on there, rollbar.com. Use the promo code TOFF, best place in the world for your daily fantasy needs. Um, Spencer's Vegas report spot on, man, week in, week out. Uh, Twitter account too. You know, he'll even drop a few uh, few freebies in there from time to time. So moving on, 3, 3M Open this week. Uh, I, I kind of like this event. This is only the third year playing, I believe, of the 3M. Uh, Matt Wolf def- uh, won the inaugural year. And uh, Michael Thompson, I think. Yep. Michael Thompson won last year. Uh, come really out of nowhere. Had some dominance on the weekend. Um 3M Open is played at the TPC Twin Cities up in Blaine, Minnesota. Golf course was designed by Arnold Palmer in the year 2000, re, uh, renovated by Steve Wins- Winsloff in 2018. 2018 renovation uh, mainly narrowed the fairways and added some additional bunkers and tees, uh, repositioning the tee complexes to the hole. Uh, this golf course is decently long, 7,400, par 71. Uh, actually, probably some of the faster greens they're going to see in non-major event. Uh, bent grass throughout with a little bit of fescue in the rough. Now, um, uh, there is an additional note that they have not much, gotten much rain up in Blaine, Minnesota this year, maybe one inch since May, which is extremely dry for the, the normal weather conditions. Um, like I said, played this event three times. Um, in 2019, the Matthew Wolf over Colin, Montgomery, Colin Moore, a second time I've done this, this show, Colin Moore, Kawa, and DeChambeau was kind of like a, um, what we thought was the lifting of the veil of the future of golf, and, and it has really proved so. Uh, Matt Wolf had, Matthew Wolf has struggled a bit at times, uh, but this course playing fast, firm and fast, uh, should bring an interesting twist to this tournament. Um Really quickly, getting into the DraftKings, uh, Spencer, DJ 11 3 uh, leading the charge on the pricing this week. Remember last year, uh, the par 5 18th is an area that has like a big, huge dog leg around a lake or a pond area. And this hole is like when you have like 200 yards into it, guys. And it's very, very much so an eagle uh, risk reward a shot and DJ done three in the water last year, made an eight or a 10 or 12 or something in the opening round and claimed to have a neck injury and withdrew and then proceeded about a month later to go on a little tear all the way through the masters. So, um, guys, uh, it's going to be really important this week just by scoping out the, the field's probably a little weak for a PJ event. Um, 
but this is the you know you're gonna you're gonna need to make some birdies you know not i think let's see uh the first time the 121 under one both the guys were 20 under right behind him michael thompson 19 under uh it depend on the the firmness of the greens i expect low scores this week spencer what about you yeah, and I think when you hear winning scores like you just mentioned, like you immediately think of a potential putting contest, but metrics over the first two years haven't exactly told that story. Strokes gain approach last year was 12.6% more impactful than the average tour stop. Off the tee was 4.5% more impactful. And then you get these wild deviations where around the green was 6.9% below and putting was 10.2% below. I mean, so what that tells me is that we want ball strikers, preferably ones with added distance, since this is a lengthy par 71. And I think we are trying to pinpoint quality iron players that can create opportunities. I don't want to get into, you know, the in-depth everything that I measured for this tournament, but I did measure seven things this week. I did 20% on ball striking, uh, which is just uh, a little bit more weighted towards distance. As I mentioned, this is just a Longer course, I think distance is going to be, I don't think it's necessarily something you have to have. I just think it's something that helps. Uh, I did 20% on weighted proximity, and that was just a redistribution of where the second shots have come from um, over the first two years. 17.5% on weighted strokes gain off the tee plus strokes gain approach. That also took historical strokes gain data from here and worked out to a 70-30 split towards approach play. I did 12.5% on par five average. That 18th hole that you just mentioned is a really difficult hole. 18.5% bogey or worse rate. Mistakes can be had there. These are lengthy part fives in general. I went for par five average over birdie or better percentage for that just because I think there are big numbers that come into play. We saw that with DJ last year. I did 10% on overall birdie or better percentage because I still think you want to find scores. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on strokes gain total at TPC properties and 10% on strokes gain total on easy courses. You know, this is something that I've mentioned a lot recently because we've been getting a lot of TPC courses. They all have kind of the same general quirks to them. I think that that's something that's worth looking at. And just finding guys that enjoying a birdie fest seems to be something that I think is important to look for. Like, it's just a different skill set of a player that you're trying to pinpoint. And some of these guys are better. Like, we see Rom when he plays these tournaments. Like, under 10 under par is where he's going to win these tournaments. Some of these guys, like Matthew Wolf just will do better if it's like a 20 under par winner for it. So that's some, that's how I wrapped up my model. It's pretty simplistic, all things considered. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be a tournament where you're going to have to score. I just think there's different ways to go about it than straight putting. I think that that's probably the least impactful in reality of most weeks when you're looking at a birdie fest. Yeah. Um, yeah this field is very strange. Um if you look at the whole grand scheme of things, uh, really, uh, after you get out of the top, I'm not even sure the top four are reliable at this point in the season. Uh, these guys are pretty cold, really. Uh, they're, they're, there's not really going to be anybody that really, to me, on first glance, sticks out. So I'm going to just go ahead and start really high. 11-3 DJ, Louis O, 10-9, uh, Finau, 10-7, Patrick Reed, 10-3. <sighs> I'm not liking Louie way up here in this pay scale um, in general. You know, I didn't like him last week, even though he proved me wrong, you know, and, and came out firing on all cylinders. I understand where his game is overall on, on, on uh, major championships and the way his uh, game was well-rounded. But I just don't think he is overall an elite player. Um, he's had great finishes over um, – 
majors over the last, you know, decade, but ten uh, nine is just way too much. I mean, there's no way you're going to say that he's a better player than Patrick Reed in any event. And so, and he's he's six hundred dollars more. So top four guys here. Tony Finos had a very very cold year, and DJ's in a huge cold stretch. I know he played, finished pretty decently last week, even though basically went unknown. He finished top eight, you know, tied for eighth. And uh, to me, he got basically zero pub in the tournament um, at the Open Championship. So coming to these top four, you're going to be able to stomach put, paying that paying up that much to get these either any of these guys in the top four, Spencer. Yeah, I mean, I'm more inclined to do it with Dustin. Just I do think the form's turned around a little bit from what we've seen. There's four top 25s. As you said, he kind of quietly did it last week with an eighth-place finish. When we go lower than that, I mean, if I was to rank these in order, and I think this would probably work the same for GPP and cash games. I like Dustin the best. I like Finau the second best. I mean, I guess by default, I like Louis the third best just because the ownership's going to be a little lower. And then I'm probably the most out on Reed. Like in reality, I'm more inclined to pay for Dustin or Finau. If I am to go that route, I don't. I think in cash games, you can make an argument for Louis and, and Reed. I just think that, Louis in good form. I mean, when you're kind of looking at cash games, the dollar amount that you're paying doesn't matter quite as much. You're just trying to get six of six through the cut and start from there. If you think Louis is going to make the cut and you can still build the lineup around him, like I don't think that it's as bad of a roster build. I think it becomes worse when you start looking at GPPs and, you know, he's the second most expensive player. And if he doesn't pay that off, all of a sudden you start getting like these other risks that come into play. He's less than 10%. I think that's the reason why he at least comes back into play on it. Reed did not look good at the open. I'm not going to nail him on that part of it, but really at the end of the day, it's four guys that are making the trip from England back to the United States. And like, there's something to be said about that. So I am going to play Dustin. I do like Dustin this week. And I do think there's a chance that Dustin routes this field and can run away with this. Everybody else, there's kind of a lot of red flags. Like even with Finau, my model likes him. He's second overall. He's second upside. He's fifth in safety. He's the third most expensive player for a guy who hasn't really shown win equity in his career. So I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to stomach that if you're going to roster him. I do think that there is an argument to be made that he is playable, but it's a, it's a rough tournament. I guess that's what it essentially comes down to. It's like, you're going to have to pick and choose your spots here. And um, pricing is pretty good overall. I think ownership, the way that it's flocking is pretty good. I think this is kind of a tournament where, a lot of pieces that are being put into place, like the general public is pretty accurate on what they're doing. And I think DFS and betting sites kind of released an accurate board. So it just makes it more difficult to find value when that happens. For that reason, I probably will start with the guy who's number one in a lot of builds. Like as of right now, Dustin's projected to be about 15% owned. It's very high, but it's the 10th most on the board. So, you know, I have him as a value when I'm looking at my ownership versus model rank he's break even everywhere else just across the board with it so he's the one guy that i'm most inclined to go to if i am to start up there you know in your opening you talked about how ball strike has, has been so important here i'm wondering if we can kind of put like something similar to like the, uh, when they play the phoenix waste management very similar stat line um because there's some risk rewards holes on that golf course you know 175 to 225 is super important there. Um, proximity from that range. And and I can kind of see this. I remember watching this tournament last year. You know, you're hitting a, they're hitting a lot of seven irons into par fours, which is a pretty heavy club for a, 
uh, you know, PJ tour player, you know, um, that it's important to be in the fairway, like you said. Um, so I'm wondering if we can use like a waste management um, ideal towards shaping this tournament, number one. And number two, it's funny that in that tournament as well, putting is not as important. However, I, in my understanding, uh, unlike the open, which is normally have a little bit slower greens than the tour average or major average, the faster the greens are, the better putter you're going to kind of need to be, I feel, uh, to, to run away with this. Um, so I feel like that's kind of a knock on fee now as far as, um, his strengths, I, but you know, he can, he can go on these streaks where he hits every fairway and evergreen, uh, and just, but I agree with you. If you're going to pay up has to be DJ. Let's just hope he's not got some type of fatigue and, but, but we know this historically is DJ kind of slowly builds into this all of a sudden and he'll rattle off three out of five tournaments. Right. And yeah. maybe that's what his team, I don't know if he, you know, he's playing on this, but maybe that was, that's kind of what they're trying to plan is him moving into this playoff, you know, something like that, or possibly even, you know, you got the Ryder cup coming on later in September. So I don't know, but I do agree with you that this the trend of his history is coming around and we've seen it time and time again. We've mentioned it time and time again on this podcast is that he builds up and then rattles off, you know, three wins out of six tournaments. So it's very could easily be a, DJ by six. It would not surprise me at all if he comes out and shoots the course record one day on this golf course. So the, the one thing I want to add to that just really quickly, and, and I agree with you, like if somebody's going to run away with the tournament, it is going to be Dustin. And I think that's very well in play with it. The one thing I've noticed, and it's just continuing to be a problem for him, his long iron proximity has not been great, especially from 175 to 200 yards, 107th in this field. Obviously, that's me playing devil's advocate because I do like him. He's 31st overall in the weighted proximity categories that I've run. Finau, ironically, is the best of these four players, which uh, fourth from 125 to 150, seventh from 150 to 175, and then right around 30th for the next two. I mean, I think that's the only thing with Dustin that becomes a problem potentially. The par five scoring hasn't necessarily been there, but I just think that he's the elite golfer in this field. And if he had a little bit more form and it's tough to say he doesn't have form, he's trending in the right direction. As you said, we've seen this before he trends in the right direction and then he just wins one, you know, this could be a spot to where a little bit better form. I mean, really he could be $12,000 and nobody would bat an eye in this field. Like he is the elite player in this tournament. Yeah, I agree. So saying that, say this a guy that I'm usually pretty high on, but he's kind of expensive, a little bit lower. Sergio Garcia's, went on a pretty bad run earlier in this year, not playing a ton of tournaments, but four straight top 20s. Um, I've got him in last 24 rounds being like maybe top five in approach, um, you know, top 15 in strokes gained total from T to green, um, or excuse me, top five in T to green, third in ball striking, seventh off T. Uh, putting has been really bad, 129 the last 24 rounds in this field. But he is 9,900, you know, is he, is he worth more than Matt Wolf? Uh, I think probably from a consistency standpoint, but if you're looking at GPP, absolutely not. Um, Matt Wolf definitely has a lot more firepower. But um, Sergio might be a pretty safe play in a cash game this week, and that, that's just me starting off in the 9,000s. We can go all the way down through the 9,000s, all the way down to McIntyre, who I think is another interesting play, along with Bubba Watson has very good tournament history at Phoenix. Um, not even sure how he does here in 
tournament history, but we've only played it a few times. We missed the cut in one one other attempt. So um I don't know. And there's several guys playing this time for the first time, for playing this year for the first time. B is it may where it falls in the schedule and uh last year with the pandemic situation. So um in the nine thousands, are you are you spotting anybody in the nine thousands you're interested in? Kind of as I said, the pricing's pretty good. Like there's nobody I'm going to rule out in this range. Um as you said with Sergio, I think Sergio and Wolf both kind of make some sense to start with GPPs. Like my model has Wolf with a little bit more upside than Sergio, as you just mentioned with that, but I don't necessarily have a problem with either. We've seen Wolf win this in 2019, 12th in 2020. If his off the course stuff has turned around and he's in a good mind frame, like I think the only counter argument to that would be he didn't go play the open championship, but I think in the same breath, you could say that, you know, he didn't want to deal with the COVID problems and the restrictions and all the stuff going on there. And maybe he just didn't think that was a tournament he could win. So he decided to come here instead with it. It's a tournament that he's found success at. So I think he makes sense from a GPP. I think Sergio makes a lot of sense from a GPP. If we think putting gets neutralized a little bit, which I kind of think it does, like you're still going to have to make putts and maybe because of the lack of rain, I might be underweighting putting a little bit, but Sergio comes into play with the ball striking. He's number one in my model in ball striking. I think Tringali is one of the safer plays on the board. And I know that kind of comes as a shock for a guy who's $9,500 and doesn't have a win on the PGA tour. But I think he's priced in this range for a reason, like the top 20 odds, the top 10 odds, you know, they're trying to cover their exposure with him because he is a guy that I think can come and come in the top 25. I think he's pretty safe for cash games. I think there's some GPP, I don't want to use the word upside because he's not winning, but I think there's some level of GPP safety to him. I think Rio's fine. Um, he's a better GPP play than he would be a cash game play. Cameron Davis, we've seen him have success before on TPC properties. He's a probably a better GPP play than a cash game play also. Bubba, as you mentioned, he missed the cut. I'm not going to count that against him. This does appear like it would be a Bubba track. I think there's a lot that benefits him. I th he's fifth in my model and McIntyre's 15th for me, six from safety in the top 20 for upside. So, you know, when we look at the ownership here, it's like Sergio's 12, Wolf is 12, Tringali's 15, Grio's a little bit higher than that. Bubba's going to be a little bit higher than that. If you're really trying to get contrarian, McIntyre is the one route to do it, but you're kind of going to be eating chalk no matter where you go. So, uh, and, you know, most of these guys kind of make sense to where they're at too. So I'm not going to like, pick on anybody in any matchups, whether that be in the head-to-head -head market, not really fading anybody. I think you're kind of just going to have to figure out what kind of blueprint you want for a player and go with it there. To me, in GPPs, it's probably Sergio Wolf and Bubba. In cash games, it's probably more of Tringali. And then I don't mind throwing in some McIntyre. It's just like a random dart throw GPP play at 5%. Yeah, it's going to be a highly uh, unsure area to be in this nine thousands uh like you said um a lot like to me the the the, the upper range is as far as worried a little bit reliability this this range might actually be a little bit more safe uh for the price you're going to be paying um as we move down the board here in the 8k there's this is a very interesting place for me because you got something like Stuart sink that's usually not uh this high up but there's several guys in this range that have been trending in the in, in a good direction over the the last say months play when you're talking about Ricky Fowler, Patton Kazire, um, Herbert, 
Lucas Herbert. Um, Maverick Manili might be a little bit of a fantasy darling, uh, but maybe the game hasn't necessarily backed it up. He's making a ton of cuts. He's finishing top 25 a bunch, but very disappointing. He's been very disappointing on the weekends. Um, Schwartzel has some pretty decent history here. This track seems like it would make sense for a Woodland. Luke List just coming off a great week last week. Fertelli's got a ton of talent. Uh, this is an interesting range in the 8K. Uh, me personally, I'll definitely still be – I'm still big on the, on the Ricky Fowler uptrend. Uh, I've had a couple of good days, especially with the closing 65 um, there. And and he has a – once again, I'm going to say this a lot on this show this week. He has a pretty decent pass history at Phoenix. So, um, uh, let's see, has he played here before? Ricky has no, never played here before. So, um, as far as this range, people that have had success, Schwartzel tied third last year. Uh, Fertelli's had a couple of decent places. As we get in the sevens, there's a lot more guys that have played here before. So, um, just hit on your 8K range real quick, see if there's anything that sticks out for you. Yeah, I, I kind of like the comp that you've made to Phoenix in this course. I think it's one of the ones that makes a lot of sense. And if we're going to use that, it's going to be hard to get rid of Ricky from the player pool here. I do think the form's turning around a little bit. I don't think it's quite where we would like it to be, but I think he's in play um, really in all game types. Like my model likes him a lot from a safety perspective, but if he's going to just be 5% owned, I do think that there's GPP potential there. I kind of really like Keegan Bradley. He, he played this tournament in 2019, came 46th. He lost 1.8 shots on approach and like, it did require him to have one of his top 10 putting weekends for him to get into that position. But outside of the tour championship and any playoff event or one of the WGCs it's only the fourth top 46 performance he's had to date when losing a minimum of 1.8 shots. That's kind of a cute way to turn numbers to mean something of what you want them to mean. Like that's such an aberrational performance from Keegan on the greens that you're not going to get. But I do the, do think the one thing that you can at least say from that is, is if the ball striking turns around, this should be a really good venue for him. He even got hot with the putter once here. Maybe it's something that fits his eye. Uh, Sink was extremely disappointing at the Open Championship. He started well on Thursday and imploded on Friday. He's one of the guys that was one of my biggest exposures when it came to the top 40 market. Had a pretty decent bet on him. So that was a disappointing finish there. Patton Kazire, as you said, form looks really good. He has two top 50s here, the two times he's played it. 11th at the John Deere, 25th at the Rocket Mortgage. I think anytime you get a birdie fest with him, he's always in play. We see him 13th at TPC courses, 19th on easy courses, as I just mentioned. McNeely, a guy anytime he's on POA or he's on bent, he gets bent here. I think he becomes a guy that makes some sense. I, I think Bermuda is the one surface you want to avoid him on. Schwartzel's made nine cuts over his previous 10 events. He's averaged 2.5 shots approach and 1.61 shots off the tee over his last seven tournaments. I think he's going to need a little bit more robust uh, totals in those two categories to win this tournament. I think he makes a lot of sense from safety. He's going to be 12% owned. I think he's a really good cash game play to target. But one guy to me that I'm just not going to be playing is Dylan Fratelli. You know, he kind of seems to burn me more than most people, but seven missed cuts in 10 tournaments. Yes, he has the fifth at the open last week, he's going to have to make the travel. Yes. He's been good at this tournament. Like there are some things, but 
even at 5%, I think you're just trying to catch lightning in a bottle with him. And, and that's not necessarily something I'm looking to do. Like if I'm going to try to, you know, pivot away and try to be contrarian, I'd rather do it with Gary Woodland, who's kind of carrying the same ownership. And maybe you get the same thing with him, like the Phoenix connection. And then he comes here and plays well. Yeah, I'm not, I've, I've never been a huge Fratelli fan. And, and you know, in this, like I said, in this range, there's so many names that stick out to me more than him anyway. Uh, I'm really worried about Stuart Sink. I feel like I would normally, under this this type of golf course, anything, anything, when proximity under 200, or, you know, 150 to 200 is going to make a, make any kind of sense. Such a great ball striker, such a good putter. I mean, you got to think too, guys. Stuart Sink's a huge family man. And to be able to play at this level for this long uh, with all that going on, uh, it's just pretty amazing. And, and uh, he was looking pretty good in the open till the till that till that little nine hole stretch there on on Friday. So I don't know what, but yeah, um, I'm probably gonna actually just skip right through this range if I'm putting a person in a roster. I I think the thing that kind of holds me back on Bradley is the huge inconsistencies. I just don't know where he's gonna. I mean, it's just hard of me to think that you know if he's what the twelfth, tenth guy, most expensive guy. A top 10 really is very unlikely for him in this tournament. Uh, that's just me, my opinion. Would almost, you know, say that everybody in the 8K range would have a better chance of finishing the top 10, including like a Luke List, Woodland, Swartzel. You know, they're quite a bit below him. Um, moving down the 7,000 range, uh, this is a very interesting range for me from the standpoint as, once again, not really that many people stick out um, in a, in a, in a I mean, there's some names that do stick out. Don't get me wrong, but you know, like a, a name that I would normally say, like like even the, the Knoxville guy Stallings, um, that I you know I've I've never shined away from loving him, especially on a track like this. Played well at Phoenix this year, but his recent form hasn't been great. Uh, it's it's been pretty inconsistent overall. Um, somebody in this range that I'm pretty high on, 7400 Adam Shank. Um, bringing on a new caddy this week, I saw on Twitter. One guy, a couple uh, guy that I have no idea what to do is one of your guys, Ryan Moore. Man, what are we doing with Ryan Moore in 2021? Ryan Moore for me this week is 37th overall, 28th for safety. Um, obviously, the second place finish at the John Deere. He came 12th at this tournament last year. I, I mean, that's a lot of those are seem like his game's turning around a little bit. I mean, he was so ice cold to begin the season. It seems like things are getting a little bit better. He's 30th weighted off the T plus approach for me. He is sixth at TPC courses. I think that's really the selling point for him. He's going to be about 8% owned, uh, not great on par fives. That seems to what be what holds him back. He hasn't been great at birdie fests recently. The ball striking hasn't been great, but I mean, kind of in general, this $7,000 range seems to be where a lot of these like it kind of falls off a cliff for you know I don't want to take shots at any of these guys but it just kind of there seems to be a difference from like there's more win equity in these eight thousand dollar golfers and you come to the seven thousand dollar range and like I think Doug Gim at seven thousand nine hundred he's one of the best iron players I think he's a guy that he at least has the blueprint and the template for what you're looking for Hank Labiota I think for cash games at seventy nine hundred the form looks really good I the ownership he's going to probably be the most popular player think that's um, a reason to maybe look the other way in GPP contests. I do think he's safer than most of these people 
if we're just looking for cash games, you mentioned Stallings. Um, my numbers kind of love them across the board. Of course, history hasn't been great, but at $7,200, I'm willing to take a little bit of a shot at him, at least in GPPs. I'm not going to overlook him there. And I mean, to me, kind of some of the bigger fades would be Michael Thompson at 7,400. That's just, I mean, his game looks terrible right now. And, you know, that's the victory that he had last year coming into play with it. I think Adam Hadwin, he's had some decent results here. And I don't think the form looks great for him either at 7,200. So I don't know. I mean, I think there are some plays that you can make. Lanto Griffin, Shank, as you said, looks um, like a decent play. Vegas is going to be very popular, but another guy, the ball, like if we're looking for ball striking, he's fourth in ball striking. Dahman makes some sense. Um, Stanley for cash games, he's going to be very popular, $7,300. I think he makes some sense. And then it kind of really starts to fall off a cliff. I, I mean, I guess the one guy I'd be curious to hear your opinion on, like, what do you think about Pat Perez at 7,100? He's 27th overall for me, 20th in safety. We obviously... Saw him in his last start fall apart at the John Deere. The putter had been carrying him, but I mean, maybe he can turn it around as a guy who's going to be in the low sevens. Yeah, I love Pat Perez, but um, to, it just seems with, with him, he's always going to be a guy that he's come out and said that he plays golf as a means to an end and the competitive edge coming down the stretch. I mean, let, let's be honest, Spencer, if let's just say that he's got three holes to go and he's five back and He's in the second group from the end, and he's got a four footer for par on eighteen. You're not you're not loving his ability to grind over that four footer right when he's already cashed a big check, because he's he's come out and said it that it's a means to an end for him, and, and that's just he doesn't love golf, but he's good at it. He makes a living doing it. So that'd be my pump the brakes moment on him. You know, um, I don't know. I, for some reason, Ryan Moore just from those ability to. Seem he always hits his irons good. Um, and he also seems to play better on easy golf courses. Uh, I'm not saying this golf course is super easy because we only played a couple of years here, but scores are low. Uh, somebody that kind of surprised me last week, and and he doesn't do as well on on longer uh, iron type of places. But Chris Kurt, another player like Stewart Stink, came out firing, and and I, I was looking at the leaderboard on on Thursday night, and I was sitting here thinking like this leaderboard how am i not all over <laughs> everywhere you know with those are all my type of guys that i call out every week and then luckily or not luckily but they all fell apart there on on friday but you know I, i'm with you i, I love doug gim and normally i would love stallings and i don't say i don't i just you know his his recent form is some holding four rounds together um richie Wolinski plays pretty well has played well here uh charles howell any golf course where iron game's important, he seems like we know what kind of living he's made. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it does definitely fall off. Joel Damon's pretty good. Par, far, par four scoring, iron proximity. Um, moving on down, I just have trouble. Really, like you said, it's just going to be hard to build a lineup this week with this field. There, um, there are a couple guys like if i'm just looking at strokes gain total at tpc courses over the last 50 and i'll just actually read this from top to bottom with it which goes back to some of the top guys that we just talked about but it does give you some of these seven thousand dollar golfers that didn't necessarily pop off for me but you know they may be worth a name worth considering dustin was one bubba was two howell as you mentioned was three wolf was four ryan moore was five i mean that might be a reason to go to more 
Uh, Lebiota was six, Kucher was seven, Reed was eight, Louis was nine, Stricker was 10. So Stricker, Kucher, Lebiota, Moore, Howell are the $7,000 guys that fall into, I mean, at least that they've shown a propensity in the past to find success at these types of a setup. So, you know, that might be something to look into. Yeah, what about James Holland played great last week, shot 59 one day, or shot 60, 59 one day, I don't remember. And um, then comes out and, uh, you know, he's missed what? I, I think he's missed every cut, but one since he uh, was, you know, he made the turn at the Phoenix Open this past year with the three-shot lead, and I think he's missed every cut, but one since then. Yeah. Uh, played pretty, pretty – I'd say he played good there last week and he finished top five, but that one low score propelled him to the top of the leaderboard. So – but this golf course makes sense for him, right? Proximity from 200 yards, 175. Uh, he's great. We've known he's a great iron player since the since he came up. Cameron Champ's a great iron player from that distance. Um, coming down here below 7,000, though, uh, it gets even more chop here. Uh, um, I, I do like a Russell Knox. Uh, he hits a ton of fairways and a ton of greens. Won't won't make a lot of bogeys. Um, with, with putting not meaning as much, maybe a, a Keith Mitchell. Uh, but really down here, I, I really struggle even more. I mean, you, you want to say Will Gordon, but we can never say that name again. Um, Kevin Tway was seemed to be t- trending up, but maybe he's fallen back because he is inability, inability to finish on the weekend. Harry Higgs, I don't know. If he makes the cut, it seems like he's in the top 15, but he's got to make the cut. Um, you know, coming down through here, I, I do like Chase uh, Seifert. I'm, I'm big on him, even though he's not had great finishes. Uh, I think he's got a world of talent. Uh, through the 6,000 range, it's it's pretty weak again. You still got still to continue watching guys, John Pack, uh, future star, in my opinion, along with Beaverbrook member and uh, – future uh, PJ Tour golfer, senior going into senior at University of South Carolina, Ryan Hall, making his PJ Tour debut as an amateur uh, on a sponsor exemption because he fin- he won a certain college tournament that got him that term, got him in. So uh, gets really weak. And, hey, Ryan's priced at 6,200. So, I mean, he's priced in front of 20 guys. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty strong. Um, 6,000 range drops really fast after you get past 6,900. So, yeah, that by its kind of just you know steps out. You know, may, what about like a, an old vet like Cameron Piercy? Yeah, he's he's uh he was twenty eighth for me overall, thirty fourth uh for upside, thirty fifth for safety, and kind of just way outgrades his rank of where he is. So he is the sixty seventh guy in pricing. So thirty nine spots higher. I am on him on DK difference 28 spots higher in ownership he's going to be only about three percent I think that we just saw him have a really good finish at the John Deere coming in 11th there I think that he makes some sense as you said though once you drop below 6900 this kind of does get very thin very fast I think I'm going to be looking for guys that at least have some sort of a a game like like a Knox a, a Matthew Neesmith guys that hit a bunch of greens in regulation maybe they can get hot with the putter Sloan at 6,900, Tom Hoagie, maybe from a GPP perspective at 6,900. He's kind of been all over the map. Von Taylor is a guy I always like when proximity seems to matter. 
Uh, Josh Teeter at 6,400, Tyler McCumber at 6,600, Michael Gligich at 6,300, Michael Gellerman at 6,100. Like if I'm just running a model from the biggest differences, Gellerman was my biggest discrepancy I had. Uh, I have him in about, about in the top one, or sorry, about in the top 50 from an overall rank. So for a guy who's 128th in pricing, I think that that makes some sense. My model always likes Teeter, which is kind of dangerous because sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But 15th at the Barbasol, he looked good there. And my model had him in the top 10 for that tournament. So some things to like about him. And then McCumber from a GPP shows up much better than a cash game just because he's missed four cuts in a row and is a 50th at the Charles Schwab. But, you know, 1% ownership, maybe you take a shot there. But it's thin. I mean, you're you're kind of throwing darts in this range. Like once you get below Knox or Neesmith, maybe Taylor, if you want to go to 6,700, you're kind of just hoping to get lucky with a guy at 1% ownership. I mean, I do think Gellerman, Gligich do make some sense if you're just at, like just randomly throwing out a name. Yeah. Yeah. So with it so hard coming down through, it's going to be hard. It's going to, is it going to be, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to have a dart play this week. Uh, so go ahead, Spencer, give us your dart play of the week and where's your heart at? How low or how high am I supposed to go on this dart? On the dart, man, it can be anywhere. You know, I think as high as I've had it was in 78. I think I did a dart and heart combination at the U.S. Open because I thought that uh, – or the PGA. U.S. Open? No, PGA. I thought I thought we were really going to see uh, Neiman way up there in the PGA. So, I did a I did a first ever dart and heart play on him in the same – for the same purpose. So, uh, you know, anything. I, I feel like anything really in this field – Really, about all of it's a dart play after you drop below maybe at nine thousand. Yeah, that <laughs> so, is true. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you mine. Uh, I feel like Doug Gim. I'm looking at a top five finish for him this week. Uh, I think he's what 7,900, 7,700, somewhere there. Another name I'll throw out there as far as a dart play, just strictly off pro, uh, iron proximity from 150 and above. Joel Damon. Uh, never played in this event before, but uh, it seems he plays well in tournaments where there's low scores. So, and in his price range, uh, he's wow, 74 to 7,600 or $74 to $7,500 dollar guys, or really 74 and below. He's probably got the most talent, other than maybe like, I'll be honest with you, I still think Scott Stallings has got some play in him in the years. He's only 36 years old. This golf course lines up for him, like you said, not great course history, but I'm going to go dart player of the week. David Gim can definitely see a top five finish out of him. Yeah. I, I mean, if like Gim is going to be very popular, that's the only negative thing I can say. The thing is he could win the tournament. So that's not to dissuade anybody from playing him. Um, if I'm looking at guys in the $7,000 range, then they're all very popular. Vegas, um, Lebiota, Doug Gim are the three highest, but for my dart play, I'm actually going to go with Scott, Scott Stallings at 7,200. He's less than 5% owned. He's 31st at TPC courses, 37th at easy courses. Um, I think there's enough to like about him. I think his, he's 15th in GIR percentage. If I'm going to throw a dart here, I'd like to do it with a guy that's going to be less than 5% owned. If I'm going to go wild with a dart play, I'd probably do it with Michael Gellerman at 6,100 if I'm just going to you know, go for a 1% owned guy. I think the guy with the best win equity in the $7,000 and below range, so 7,900 and below, 
would probably be Gim, as you mentioned. I think he has the most upside to actually win this golf tournament, which is being shown with the ownership. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I think that that's kind of what I was saying to start this show. It's like the public is really tuned into this event. And I think that the pricing and the projections and the ownerships kind of makes sense, which just makes it more difficult. Um, doesn't mean you can't play Gim and, you know, you play Stallings and you can find your differential someplace else. There you go. There you go. So uh, where's your heart at? You open up the drawer on, on, on Sunday morning or Thursday morning. You got $2 left. Who are you putting it on? I will say this. I, I, I do think Dustin's going to win the tournament. I'm not going to bet Dustin at seven to one. Uh, I'm a little bit afraid Dustin runs away with this. If I was to make one wager this week, I would probably put it on. I mean, part of me wanted to say Sergio. I just don't know if Sergio can make enough putts. I mean, I guess the same problem kind of goes in with Bubba, but Bubba at 40 to one is probably one of the better values on the board. In my Vegas report last year, I wrote up Bubba at 40 to one for this tournament. He obviously missed the cut. So that didn't come and work, but um, you know, just from a top five of the model, Dustin's one, Finau's two, Louis three, Tringali's four, Bubba's five. I think Bubba has a lot better win equity than Tringali does. You can argue he has better win equity than Louis does, maybe than I guess Finau does too. So uh, Bubba seems to be that guy for me right below Finau that has the best win chance of anybody else. I like it, Bubba Watson, and uh, and he's my saying he's the heart play for me as well. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I think, you know, a few weeks back, uh, he got back into that contention that he hasn't felt in a long time and really uh, did not shine. And he admitted it. And he said he started thinking about different things and and uh, wasn't ready for that feeling. And, and and I think he gets back up there. I mean, there's no doubt he's world-class talent. Golf course sets up perfect for him. Uh, comp golf course, Phoenix Open, he played, he's played well at. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm big on – I'm Bubba Watson too. Um the only really the only person in the field that scares me is DJ just from what you said also that I mean trending up he could rattle off three or four wins in a row uh, especially he is by far the best player in this field most talented player but so Doug Ginn Bubba Watson for me Scott Stallings Bubba Watson for Spencer guys if you like what you heard today uh, please give us go ahead and hit the subscribe button hit the like button share with your friends on all the social medias you can find Spencer on the Twitter at T off sports uh, you can find me on anywhere in social media at Andrew Putters. Thanks for coming on again, Spencer. This is three out of four weeks, I think, man. We're starting to become a regular, which is okay with me. I think it's okay with you too. Guys, if you need any kind of help, go to rotoballer.com. Uh, when signing up for the pre PJ Premium, use the promo code off. We also have a Slack channel on there, guys, where you have direct access to uh, all the guys here at Rotoballer. Um, hit us up on Twitter. Spencer, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks so much, Andrew. Always a pleasure to do this show. Okay, buddy. From Las Vegas, Nevada, Knoxville, Tennessee, this is the Turn Fancy Golf Podcast brought to you by Rotoballer.com. I've already hit three in the lake. It's gonna drive me. It's gonna